No, there there won't be. There will it's never the, be a normal. No, it's you, my new I normal. I will never have titties again. I have to get over it. In Sex After, we are getting raw and honest about the most challenging aspects of sex, intimacy, and relationships after seismic change. This is Amy Marks. I wrote the critically acclaimed show, Nice Tits, about losing my breasts, learning to love my scars, and dealing with life after surviving cancer. If you thought dating wasn't already difficult enough, he's like touching my breasts, it's hot and heavy, and all of a sudden he like whispers in my ear and he goes, Amy. I was like, what? He goes, I can't find your nipples. We're having intimate and unfiltered conversations with people who've been through life-altering experiences. And I'm finding out what sex and intimacy are like for them in the after. Let's talk about when you tell a guy you have a prosthetic leg in regards to dating. I didn't know how I wanted to go about this because I could stay quiet, not bring it up over text, not say anything, or mm -hmm. I could ask him if he knew. Do I have to explain right. to this person that I have one leg? It was, I mean, especially as a child and a teenager, it was really hard. There was so much shame built around our bodies. And it's like these women who are supposed to be leading us and mentoring us and making us feel safe created this environment that felt very judgmental over something we cannot control. I thought I was this shameful boy who was unloved. My way of connecting was secret touching with strangers. And a lot of them were older men and I was underage. This podcast is about the relationships we have with our bodies. There's a really big difference between accepting your body being at peace with it, so to speak, that's different yes. to me than being able to embrace your body and say, I like my body. I don't just accept it. I like it. I woke up in the Dominican and I was like, where am I? And then I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, who is that? I didn't recognize myself. And it wasn't coming from a place of insecurity. It was coming from a place of this is attainable and this is beneficial and it's my body so I get to make this choice. And what I have learned from this process, that if I'm comfortable with it, they're gonna be more comfortable. It's really about me loving myself and accepting me because I feel like no one can accept me fully until I accept me fully first. <gasps> Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and I have this little. Key is showing me part of her breasts. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to share, just for those of you who don't know what's what happening. That's what we do. We're like, you want to see them? There are engineers here, and the key and I are like, oh wait, let me show you my boob. He's like, when are you going to book your next session here? This is the best podcast I've ever heard. <laughs> We're getting naked physically and getting naked emotionally. This is sex after. Hi, everyone. I want to welcome you all to the first episode of Sex After. I am so excited to be here, and I'm so happy that you are all tuning in and here with me. This has been a passion project of mine and Chris DeRosa, my producer, for the past few years, and I am so excited that we are finally launching. When I was recovering from my double mastectomy and getting back to my new normal, most people were just really excited that I was okay. So, for most people, it was like, okay, back to life. But for me, after my procedures were over is when so many feelings started to come up for me. And it's when I began to look at my new life. And I found as 
much of a fantastic support system I have of friends and family that most people really didn't know how to talk to me about this to no fault of their own. They would just tell me you're beautiful. It's okay. We're so happy. You're all right. But I had these feelings that I didn't know what to do with because I needed to talk about what was sex going to be like for me after? How was I going to accept my new body? I was someone who considered my breasts my best asset. And then all of a sudden I'm faced with having lost my breast to cancer, having scars, having implants, having the tiniest nipples ever. And how was I going to be intimate again? And I found myself single. When was I going to share this information? And my friends, they, they didn't know how to support me. They didn't know how to have these conversations. So I really got to thinking, I can't be the only one who feels this way. There are so many people going through and after, and I wanted to create a space that people were able to share their after. And I really believe with all my heart that in telling our stories, in sharing our truth, we give other people permission to share their truth. And I think that is when the healing begins. I want to take conversations that might not be necessarily comfortable. And my goal is to make them comfortable. And that is my reason for starting Sex After. And now for the first episode of Sex After, you are going to get to know a lot about me and hear my story. I can't wait to have this chat with Chris. Now, Chris did not prepare me for what he's going to ask me. So who knows where this conversation is going to go? So I am going to turn it over to Chris. But before I do, I want to welcome you all to Sex After. Is it safe to say that sexuality has always been a very important part of your life? Yes, it's very safe to say that, Chris. I feel that I've talked to you a lot about this. We've been doing this podcast for a long time and prepping it to kind of finally release it. Mm -hmm. And it it has always been very apparent to me that you have always been a very sexual person, someone who has always been, I don't want to say like free with your body that I don't know why. Oh, well, you could say me, that. That makes you, me, <laughs> icky. That, it, it, I don't know. It's I like, know that's, it's that's almost like too much of a buzz term now. Yeah. But yeah. is it safe to say that you weren't a conservative person when it came to sexuality you experimented when you were growing up you were very you know what I mean you were in in tune with your sexuality yes but I didn't lose my virginity till I was 19 and I was in college so I think I became freer after that experience not that I didn't do a lot before I lost my virginity but it was really really important to me uh to be in love when I lost my virginity so I really mm -hmm. held out for my first love Jeff and I lost my virginity at Theta Chi fraternity in his, in his fraternity. Yeah. There you have it. Oh Lord. <laughs> and that was the beginning. I, I, mean, I did. I did. It's true. It's true. Wow. Wee wee. Wow. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. I mean, tale as old as time, right? A tale as old as time. There you have it. You grew up in Long Island, right? I did. If you Where? can still, I grew up in the five towns. Which everyone's like, what are the five towns? But it's on the south shore of Long Island, not far from Queens. And your mother passed when you were 16, right? Yeah, I had just turned uh, my birthdays on June 18th and my mother passed on July 28th. So I had literally just turned 17. So I had 16 years with her. Yeah. And she died of breast cancer, correct? She did within a year. And that was something, I know you've talked about this a lot with me, that was something that 
really jolted you like that jolted you awake i feel like yes but at first it it's it changed the course of my life but i think at 17 it might not have jolted me awake i think it jolted me awake later because i really didn't know how to process it as a 17 year old i didn't know how to talk about it so when i went away to college so many people had no idea that I lost my mother. I just couldn't talk about it. I didn't know what to do. And I always felt, Chris, like when I would, which is why talking and having conversations is so important to me, because when I would start to talk about losing my mom to people who were 17, they'd immediately make it about them because nobody could, how can you hold the container of space for someone who loses their mother? No one knew mm -hmm. what to do with me. So I didn't talk about it for many, many years. I, held I never. It in I don't think years. I ever knew that. Yeah, I held it in for many years. And did you? What would you? I mean, you go away to college. What is your? What is your big dream to do? Meet a boy. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's so terrible. No, it's terrible. No, no. I mean, when I first went to college, I mean, I was a young, wild thing, right? Yeah. But when I first went to college, I was going to be a teacher, and then one month in, I auditioned for uh, the play. And I got in and then that was it. I called my father. There were, oh my God, I'm so aging myself right now, but there were no cell phones. So there was a pay phone on the wall in the dorm hall where you, I don't think you, you probably had phones when you were in college. I did, you're, yes. Because you're young. So I didn't have an iPhone yet. It's a, it's freshman year, I did not have an iPhone. I had like a shit, like a weird Verizon phone, but yes. Yeah. So we had a phone on the wall for people that can imagine that. Yeah. And you had to like wait your turn and then some people like would be on for so long. But then finally I got my turn and I called my dad and I was like, dad, I got cast in the school play. I absolutely love being on stage. This, cause I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. Can I change my major? And my father said, does it make you happy? Does it bring you joy? I said, yes. He said, change your major. And then I became a theater major. And so my life when I was in college and since was really about the plays and performing and the community that developed mm. from that. And yes, yes, I always, men were always a big part of my life. When you're like being cast in a show where you're in love with someone and that's, I mean, what is a play other than like two people in love? Like, right, <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of falling in love with castmates, falling in love with people in the play. I mean, you're in, you're young, you're away from home for the first time. Well, except I went to summer camp, so that's a whole other story because I was away for summers. So, yeah, at, at a co-ed camp. So, oh God, I can't even remember <laughs> that. That's a whole other episode. Of I like was just going like to say, a... <laughs> uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's a movie right there. It is. So you graduate from college. I'm assuming you then moved to New York to, you know, follow your dreams of becoming an actor, correct? To, when I was that age, to become a star. I mean, now yeah. I, I, I just want to work, right? Yeah. Because I love- <laughs> same, same. I just want a fucking job, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please hire me someone. But when I was young, I wanted to be a star. Absolutely. Yeah. And yes, and I, I came to New York and I- lived with my grandmother because my grandmother had a beautiful apartment on Park Avenue. And so I lived with her for the first eight months that I was in New York. And then I reconnected in Bloomingdale's. I'm like, okay, so I'm walking down the steps in Bloomingdale's and I see this guy, Craig, and he's like, Amy, I'm like, Craig. And he was like my 
a love or a love interest in summer camp. We're taking it back to summer camp. Then we started dating, blah, 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 blah. And I ended up moving in with him and left my grandmother's and lived with Craig. Oh, that really? Didn't last, yeah, that didn't last long. But okay. yeah. But it got me out of grandma's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was living with grandma fun or no? You know, it was... There were some beautiful things about it. It was a gorgeous apartment. I had gone to that apartment since I was a baby. And it was my mother's mother. So there was something incredibly beautiful and healing about that. And yeah. she took care of me like at, oh, this makes me cry because, you know, you lose your mom. It's, it's, it's a big deal. And the taking care of is a very, very big deal. Because my father, I love him, but was not my mother. Is not my mother. And it's very different. Yeah. yeah. Not the same thing. So if I couldn't sleep, she'd make me warm milk and she'd make meals for me. And I was, I, I felt deeply taken care of, but she was a tough cookie too. So don't get me wrong. It wasn't all. Yeah. And were you, did you grow up going to the city from the five towns? I did. Like you went to the city all the time. You were almost like a, not a Manhattan kid, but like you were, you know what I mean? Like starting from third. Yeah. Starting from 13, we'd get on the Long Island Railroad. We'd go to, um, when eighth street wasn't sorry, 8th Street, it became a little dumpy, but it was like pretty cool and great. And there were all these like shoe stores. Yeah. I went into the city. I went to concerts in the city. Yeah. So I I have New York in my blood and my parents are from New York and my grandparents are from New York. So I am like, when people say they're a New Yorker, I really am a New Yorker. Yeah. You're abroad too. That's the one thing. It's it's a dying breed. Don't you think you're really, you're abroad. Yeah. Like you really are. You're abroad. Like there were even times I remember we went, we were like doing a meeting where we were going right out, right outside of Chelsea piers. And we were sitting down at like a table, like talking about this podcast. This was years ago now. Uh And Uh like talking about this podcast and we had all these plans and we were writing stuff down in this book and we were calling people and we had all these things. And at one point I just looked up at you and I was like, you were like, am I the right person to do this podcast? Like, it, will anyone care? And I said, Amy, look at the outfit that you're wearing right now. You're in like, you look half like Julia Roberts in Notting Hill, half like a bag lady, half like that. You know what I mean? I was like, you like this. Yes, you are the right person to do this podcast. Like you're a New York Jewish broad. Like, I think it. about it. Like, I that's what it. people want to hear. Julia, half Julia Roberts, half Bagley. Do you remember the I outfit had, you were wearing? You had like, like these little purple sunglasses on, like a almost. I think you had like a beret hat on, like she does in that first scene where they where she goes into the bookstore. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. And you also said to me, I looked like Diane Keaton. Oh my God, you're right. I did tell you that. You did. You did. Like a you Diane did. Keaton outfit. Yes. yes. You I was totally like, this did. is not what a normal, like you're, this isn't a normal everyday person, like, like, that's in front of me right now. This is I a New York that. broad, like and it, totally. a truly a dying breed. Like we don't make them like we used to. <laughs> we don't make them like we, we used don't. To. Yeah. Who is a New York broad? That's my age. No one. I don't Name know a New why. York, bro- famous New York broad. That's my age. I don't know. But why is that? Is it because New York broads are to, to at a, your age to live in New York city, you have to be a trust fund baby. I don't even think it's that it's just, they're not, it's not, it's, it's the, you're a product of the time you were raised in. And that time is no longer, you know what I mean? Just as like the same as like, that's the t- time I was raised in is no longer, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm digressing. I love that. No, I love that. So I'm going to jump in time very much, but you at a certain age are 
diagnosed, which is like the catalyst of this podcast for a lot of, you know, for all intents and purposes, you are then diagnosed with DCIS, which is basically, uh, let me not speak about it, but basically is like the precursor to breast cancer. Yeah. There's a line in my play, um, some doctors consider to be precancer, some doctors consider to be cancer. I just wish they'd make up their fucking minds. Yeah. So I was diagnosed with DCIS in my left breast and I had two lumpectomies. And because of that, I had to get watched very, very diligently with sonograms and um, I had an MRI. So I had gotten my mammogram and it literally said, congratulations, see you in a year, you're all clear, you're fine. But because of DCIS, which I now say saved my life, I had to also get an MRI. And on my MRI, something showed up on the other breast. And I, I have a great... Uh, breast surgeon at NYU, Dr. Karen Hiotis. She's like been my angel through all of this. She's like, Amy, relax. It's it's probably nothing. Just stay calm and you'll get this MRI done. And I remember that whole weekend waiting for the results because it's terrible when you get it like on a Thursday and you have to wait till that Monday. So what do I do? My boyfriend and I go to Woodbury Commons to shop because I don't know what else I'm like. I so I so I like went shopping and I had. Chris, I had this impending feeling that I had cancer. And every one of my friends, God love them, were like, no, you don't. There's no way. And I was like, I was like, I feel like I do. And I sat down. Dr. Yotis walked into the office. She looked at me and she said, Amy, it's cancer. Why do you think your friends were like, no, it's going to be fine? Like, what is that? Because that's every, like, I had to stop myself from doing exactly that when someone told me news, not as bad at all as you have cancer, but told me news where then I immediately wanted to, like, rebut with, like, but here's all the positive parts of this. And I had to stop myself from doing I love, that. I love that you stopped yourself. I think that we, again, I don't want to make generalizations, but I'm going to make one. I don't know for a society that knows how to deal with discomfort and pain, which is why I think so many people are in discomfort and pain. And, and I think maybe saying, no, you're fine. You're fine is a way for other people to not have to worry about you and, Mm -hmm. and push it and push it at bay. And I think then some other people thought like, you know, I was still young, you know, and I think other people, was in my 40s, and I think other people thought it isn't cancer. But I remember my surgeon said to me, the person with cancer always knows. I'll never forget her saying that to me. You just get this sense. You just get this feeling, which is why I think if any, you, we have to really always listen to our bodies, that no matter what, we have to be our own advocate and listen to our bodies if we know something is not right. And so you get this news, and then you immediately go into crisis management mode, correct? Yes. But it was very strange. I didn't go into crisis management mode. Something came over me and I, I've never really been a type A personality. I think I'm becoming more as I get older, but something came over me and God love Alana. My best friend at the time, Alana was with me and the doctor, Dr. Yoda said, Amy, you have cancer. And I don't even think I took a beat, Chris. And I said, I want a double mastectomy. And, and Alana like was like, what? No. And she started crying. And I said, shut the fuck up. We have shit to do. 
I can't believe I said that to her. Yeah. Like to this day, I think she's still like horrified that I said that. But <laughs> I was like, right, right? Like she's crying. I'm like, there's no fucking time for tears. I felt like someone who had a project and I had to get things done. And you know, I'm very emotional on the podcast. Mm. I probably like say a thousand times, oh, it's going to make me cry. I'm going to make me, but my emotions literally went to the side yeah. and I was like, I am on a mission and this has to be done and it has to be done correctly and tell me what it is I have to do. So that mm -hmm. then brings you to having a double mastectomy and you just knew, what was the decision? Did you know that that was what you needed to do is have mm -hmm. a double mastectomy? It was just mm -hmm. something that you no, decided on? Yeah, let's take it back a little bit. Number one, I never thought I was going to get cancer. Never. Mm. Everyone's like, well, your mother had cancer. She died at 51 years old. She got it at 50. I was like, no. And people were like, do you want to test for the gene? I was like, no. I was a vegetarian for years. I exercised all the time. Healthy, healthy, healthy. I was like, this is just never, ever happening to me. Right. And I, and I talk about it in my play, which we'll talk about my play because I haven't mentioned that, but I loved my breasts and, and I, had great boobs. They were beautiful. They were beautiful. And I was a woman who was noticed for my boobs. And I'm going to be honest here. I liked it. I didn't have a problem with it. I liked being noticed for my boobs. I dressed for my boobs to really show. And they were a very, very big part for me of my sexuality and my identity. They were. Mm. So for some reason, Chris, at that moment, I don't know what got channeled. I can't believe those words came out of my mouth. There was absolutely no thought to it. I didn't think they literally just vomited out of my mouth. One, it's funny because it's almost like this thing that you have, you, you yourself said it was a big part of your identity had like in Huge. theory been now, not they have betrayed you. That's I think very gross, but like it's, you know, this thing that I have such pride for now is a problem. Yes. And another thing that went in my brain is I had, don't forget, nine months before I had two lumpectomies in my other breast. Yeah. So I felt at that moment that I was just this ticking time bomb. And I felt like if I don't do this, I'm just going to keep getting like, it's, it's not going to stop. Coming. Yeah. Like it's it's not gonna, not I felt stop. like it's not yes. going to stop and I'll yeah. end up for me and everybody's different. I felt like I'll end up being more scarred yes. if I don't do this than if I do it. Yeah. So, let's just nip it in the bud. Right. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. And, and I think everyone was shocked at my decision. Would I make the same decision today? I don't know. But at the time that was the choice I was compelled to make. How does this impact you sexually? Obviously, saying that you no, know, finding out that you are diagnosed with cancer is not like putting you in the mood or anything like that. But like, this is now something. Oh where no, no, no! You, I probably, you know I, mean? I probably, when I found out I was diagnosed with cancer, I went that day. I went with my boyfriend at the time, Roy and Alana, and we went to this fabulous restaurant in in Chelsea. And I ate this huge bowl of macaroni and cheese that was so fucking good. And I think I had <laughs> sex. I think I had sex that night because, you know, sex for me does take my mind off of my mind and it helps yes. me to forget things. So I probably had quite a bit of sex leading up to my surgery. And that's because it's free. Like it's something that's a release or freeing to you. It's not correct. It is a release and it is freeing for me. And it brings me tremendous joy and it makes me feel in touch. And yeah, I'm a woman who really loves to have sex. Mm -hmm. Haven't had it for quite a while, but, yeah. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I was a woman who loved to have sex. Yes. 
I don't want to recap every single step of your journey because you write all about it in your show, Nice Tits, which we one day will have somehow have either an audio version or something on this podcast yes, yes, so that yes. people can hear the whole story. But yeah. you then go through with the surgery. There's a lot of trials and tribulations leading up to it. Yeah. So it was three weeks from the time I was diagnosed to the time I went in for surgery. It was three weeks. Is that very quick? I'm assuming yes. Well, I think I, and again, I have this line in my play when um, my, I'm just going to back it up a hair. Dr. Hiotis gave me a list of three surgeons that she thought would be a very good fit for me. And I met my first surgeon, Dr. Nolan Karp, who I connected to immediately. And he really, really, I just knew he was right. I knew he was right. And, um, but I got in right away, which is what I was trying to say. It's very, very hard to get an appointment there. And I say in my place, the first time in my life I was seen so quickly because it was an emergency. I, I, they had to get rid of my cancer. They had to get yeah. the cancer out. Yeah. You go through with the surgery. Yeah. And what was that? So uh, tell me what that was like. This is your like crown jewel of your body. You know what I mean? Mm. Like is your breasts. It's something you love so much. And then you, they're gone. Mm. How? I mean, I can't even imagine. Mm, I can't either. You know, it, it, it's, and I say that, I don't say that jokingly. I, I think for me, and again, every single person is different, but we all do what we need to do for ourselves to survive. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, just was on this mission, Chris, of I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. I was de desperately afraid of anesthesia, so that was very scary for me. And I got very, very sick from the anesthesia. So I was mm. in the hospital for a lot of days. And then I, I had um, I had to get something called tissue expanders. So my body was stretched and stretched and stretched. Your sexuality then changes forever, and I, I no, would assume. No, no, Really? No. Because sex is as important to me now as it was then. I love sex as much now as I did then. And the key is that I have learned, because I'm no longer in a relationship with the person I was when I had cancer and I had to go out into the dating world, which is a whole episode to talk about. But what I have learned is that it's been a process of love for me, for me to love, for me to accept, for me to come to terms with. Because if I'm not comfortable with it, no one else is going to be comfortable with it. And mm -hmm. I did everything I could to make myself still feel beautiful. That's why I went to a top plastic surgeon. Um, all that was really important to me. I went to physical therapy right away so I wouldn't lose any um, mobility because that was all really important to me. To this day, I still want to get, I got my, uh, I got my nipples, which are made out of my own skin, which is fascinating, but they're a little too tiny. I'm revealing so much information right now, but they're a little too tiny. So I, I, I want to get them tattooed. But until I make a decision on, like, if you look at on Instagram, you'll see some women have these beautiful, beautiful tattoos on their breasts to cover their scars. I have a hard time with commitment, so I can't make a decision as to what I want those tattoos to be. So I, I'm tattooed now. I, I mean, I, I tattoo uh, my boobs all the time, and they're beautiful. And that is, you tattoo them to? To cover my scars to cover a little bit of the fact that my nipples are really tiny and uh -huh. to make me, 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 to make me feel beautiful. Yeah. Because it's not about a man 
I have to feel that way. I can't yes. get that from a guy. I have to feel that way. Yes. And sex, and, and that's why another reason for this podcast, it's really important for me to have maintained my sexuality. And it's never, it hasn't gotten in the way. It, it, it has not gotten in the way at all. So all this to say, you get a breast reconstruction. Like yes. you didn't want, you know what I mean? You didn't want to just not have breasts anymore. You wanted to reconstruct them. You got I mean, them as, I'm speaking for you a little bit because I feel like I know this your story you so well. You know this the point. story so like well. You, yes. get them, you get them to a size that is similar to what they were whenever you were, whenever you have them, right? Correct? Mm-hmm, or at least mm-hmm. somewhat. They're a, tiny, they're a tiny bit smaller because my uh, my boobs, I'm little, you know, I'm, I'm very petite and my boobs were always pretty, I was a 34C, but a really big C, I guess, mm-hmm. depending on who, um, does, what bra shop does the sizing. So my uh, surgeon made me a tiny, tiny, tiny bit smaller. So they're actually fit perfectly in my body. And this is really funny. I'll never forget years ago, I went to a, a dance class, one of many, and this teacher came up to me and he goes, who did your boobs? You have like great boobs. And I was like, who did my boobs? They're my boobs. So when my boobs were real, people thought they were fake. They were fake. And, now that my, <laughs> and that was like the exact Yeah, now opposite. that they're fake, they actually fit your bot. That's so yeah, funny. Yeah, so people people never have any idea. And so you, but there was some navigating for you to like, then you're getting these new breasts, you're figuring this out, you're having to deal with it. So like, much it, navigating. Yeah. So and, w- and we don't have to dive into all of it right now, but that is the, you know, the, a lot of this podcast will be talking to people about that navigating afterwards. That is like, yeah. And I'll never forget like, because, because I had something called tissue expanders, which, uh, the long and short of it is they have to stretch out your skin to make room for the implants. So very, very painful. Just imagine like you're getting your skin stretched and there's a needle. Well, like uh, probably like 12, is that like 12 inches, 12, 14 inches? I think, yeah, like 14 inches. 14 inches that they put into your breast and you watch them put in to stretch and stretch and stretch. I didn't really feel it because the one thing that's not talked about a lot is you do lose a lot of sensation. You lose a lot of sensation in your breasts. And you've talked to me about that before too. It's like losing sensation in like your nipples and things like that 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 like was something that was very... No, I was not a woman who had, tr- like there are women who can really like orgasm from having their breasts touched. I was yeah. never that woman. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I liked having my breasts touched. I enjoyed it. But I wasn't that woman who would orgasm from having my breasts touched. So it didn't, there's so much more you can do. It didn't take yeah, away yeah. from my feeling of pleasure, but I really had to get comfortable with it. And it's conversations that I have to have, you know, in dating and being single. And it's something that I know that some people will not want to be with me because of it for whatever reason it could be because they want a woman who has like big nipples you know we all listen I don't want to be with I'm not attracted to certain things it's human nature right uh there could be people Chris who were afraid to be with someone who had cancer because they're afraid it's going to come back and you're going to die I don't know all I know (laughs) is I have no control over anyone else that's the lesson I've learned in this all I have control over is me and the choices I make and how I choose to deal with them. One thing that we didn't touch on that I'm going to like circle it all the way back is my, this was diagnosed on a routine mammogram where something called calcification showed up on my breast. And the radiologist who probably, my doctor said the radiologist probably saved my life. He looked at those, calf- cal- I can't speak, calcifications and said, 
94 to 96% of the time, this is nothing. This is nothing. I'd have you come back in a year and I check on it. But because of your family history, you need to see a breast surgeon. So I did my research and I found Dr. Hiotis. And I sadly was that 4%. Yeah. Or something. So it's, I, I'm not sitting here. It's very early detection is, is very, key. very, it's key, Chris. It's so important. And I think that women who have dense breasts, which is what I have, also need to get sonograms. I think if you're someone who has a family history, fight for an MRI. It, we, we have to advocate for ourselves. Because I was stage one. So let's just talk about that for a second. I did make the choice to have a double mastectomy. I did not have radiation and I did not have chemo because there's a test called the Onco test. And it showed that chemo for me would not have helped me. Mm -hmm. So being a New York Jewish broad, I am not going to lie to you. I sometimes had guilt that I didn't suffer enough. Like there'd be cancer survivors who had radiation, who lost their hair, who had chemo. Well, and, and did like the whole, what we, what we see in the movie of like this person's fighting cancer, right? Correct. Correct. And I'm like, I, in a way felt like a cancer imposter because I didn't go through any of that, you know, but I lost my breast to cancer. So that's suffering enough, but it's, it's, I, I swear. I well, there's a whole, but there's a whole other can of worms to open up of like who, comparing people's pain and did this person do it? Like, you know, and there's whole shame spirals that people go through. Or I heard, I was listening to a different podcast about someone that was faking cancer and they were talking about someone that they knew. And the person that knew they were faking cancer was saying, and I was closeted about my own cancer journey. And I wasn't telling anyone because I was too embarrassed. So I was, I couldn't speak up about this person that I knew that was faking cancer because I was, in my own shame situation. Oh my God. Know what I mean? Like, it's like, there's whole worlds that we could, that I am out on the outside looking in on of like, there's so many complicated emotions that are involved with it that are like layered and very So much, and, yes. so much like that. Oh my God, I didn't suffer enough. I suffered more than enough. But, yeah. but, but you do, we compare and contrast and it's, it's, it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. And so because of this, you then write your one-woman show, Nice Tits. I do. Tell me, what, what brought you to doing that? When I was healing, I stopped, I'm an actor, and I stopped auditioning, and I stopped having my creative outlet. Now, for me, creativity is how I can release my pain. Creativity mm -hmm. is, is my way of healing. Creativity is how I feel free to express. Because it's so interesting. I have this podcast. I can talk to people. But I'm very, very private. People who don't know me don't know my story. Many people, Chris, had no idea I had cancer until they came to see my play. They go, I didn't know you had cancer. I was like, yeah, I, I don't talk about it. Well, so like, what are you going to be like, hi, my name's Amy Marks. I have cancer. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, what are you Oh, I do. And I have to <laughs> right? tell you. Right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes, Chris, you'll appreciate this. I would be, I'll never forget this. I would be in the city and I'd be on the phone with someone that I hadn't spoken to for a while and just didn't know what was going on with me. And I'd be like, how are you? And they'd be like, well, you know, and they would just start this rampage of complaining about, about stupid, stupid stuff, stupid yeah. crap, stupid crap. And I'm listening and listening. And then they're like, Oh, and how are you? And I literally wanted, what I wanted to say <laughs> you is you fucking I asshole, I have cancer and I'm listening to you complain about that the subway took an extra 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, that your mail was like lost yes, or something. That's yeah, right, yes, that's yeah. right, right, right. 
the most mundane, ridiculous, stupid things. And I found myself going, oh, I'm fine. Nothing new. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there in fucking pain with my, with my yeah, tissue yes. expanders. But yeah. You're quite literally that. fighting for your life. And they're, quite and they're, literally yes, fighting and, for my life. Yeah. Back to your question. I needed an outlet. I needed a place to take everything that I was feeling and put mm-hmm. it down. So I just started journaling. I just started journaling and writing it all down, not knowing what I was going to do with it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, you know, I thought maybe I'll write a book. I have no idea. And then I met with this wonderful, talented man, Peter Michael Marino, who's become a very, very good friend of mine. Uh, he's a great writer and director. And I went to him with this pile of pages. And he's like, I think you have a one-person show here. I was like, what? And we started writing and writing and writing and writing. And that's how uh, Nice Tits came to be. Which is now in Asia. In I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that no, after. No, go ahead. But, T- but talk about play, it now. <laughs> I spent the past, uh, from December to uh, May, I got this incredible job. I'm an acting teacher teaching Meisner at the Meisner Studio in Taipei. And I've been living in Taipei, Taiwan, which is, we have to have a whole show about that because that was one of the best experiences of my life. And while I was there, my assistant, who's also an actor, I said, are there a lot of opportunities for women here? And she goes, eh. And I also have a production company now that's a female, all-female production company because I'm one of my passions is, is uh, telling stories of uh, people who identify as female. So that's a very big, big thing for me. And so I said, well, would you want to read my play? She said, yeah. I said, you know, I'm going to gift you my play, Daphne. I want to gift you my play. And we just had meetings and meetings. And um, in New York, it had been done with as a celebrity reading. It's now in Asia, in Taipei, Taiwan. We did it in April. It was this huge success. They're now gearing up for um, Taipei Fringe Festival, like they have fringe festivals all over the world. And this is Taipei Fringe. We have three shows. We sold out. I think you know this from Instagram. Three, we sold out three shows in two hours. That's it's like amazing. A, it's, it, that's like a like the Barbie movie didn't sell that out. You know what I mean? Like it's like <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing, and I have these incredibly talented actors in it, and uh, a few of them are celebrities there, and they're beautiful, and it's just this. And the show is called Perfect Mimi. That's how it translates in Mandarin: is beautiful uh, boobs, and the audiences are loving it, and they are deeply moved by it. We had a hospital contact us that they want to bring the show to them. And I have like, I'm starting to have a hit show in Taipei. It's amazing. And I mean, let's not also discount in America, you have been, you know, reviewed in the New York times. It was, you know, you had the women of Hades town do a celebrity reading of it. Um, It's been every time that you've ever done it since I've known you, it's like sold out. And there were people like sitting in the aisles to watch it happen. It's true. That's true. Thank like, you for let's not me. act like it's like I'm a big deal in Asia and not it here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's- no, thank you. Thank you for that. And I'm gearing up for doing it in Los Angeles sometime in the fall because mm-hmm. I've never done it in LA. So that's going to be exciting. But the reason uh- I keep doing the play is because it's no longer about me. It started my play, started in truth about my healing, getting out my experiencing, my, my experience and processing everything. Now I do my play for other people. 1000% or else I wouldn't keep doing it. It's a much and, bigger meaning for me. 
And you've told me that people have come up to you after the show and been like, can I show you my boobs? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just got my breasts removed. Can I show you? Like, you've told me that you've been in Starbucks bathrooms where you've been like looking at people's breast scars, right? Many men would be envious of the amount of breasts I've seen recently. Yes. Why do you think people do that? I can only guess, Chris, but I think they do that because I so openly shared my truth and my story. And I think they want to share theirs. And I also think that they also want to still feel beautiful. And they want me to say, wow, you look incredible. You look beautiful. They're fantastic. Because I do think it's a whole other show. And I think it'd be interesting to have a whole group of women who've lost their breasts and reconstructed because it's again a journey, not to sound hokey, it's a journey about loving ourselves. It seems that it's something that isn't talked about. I mean, we say this every fucking day with each other is that like this is some this is a conversation that <laughs> no do. one's having. We huh? Like we, we like need to actually stop because it's too we've said it too many times to each other. But it seems that this is a this is a conversation that isn't a mainstream conversation about people losing their brain, you know what I mean? Like surgery, things like that. And not at all. it's, it's a very women's topic, which then becomes put in a box in my opinion. And so I think that these women are like yearning for other people to be able to, to, to feel relate that they can relate to someone. Right. It's, I feel that people come away from your show and feel that they can relate to something and they don't see that in the mainstream media. Would you agree 1,000%. 1, and I've had men come up to me. I've had, I had, I've told you this story before after my show, a young man, three weeks later, his mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And he sent me an email and he said, Amy, I want to thank you for writing your play. It was really, it's all these years later, deeply touches me. He said, because of your play, I knew how to talk to my mother. Because Chris, again, we go back to the reasons we have these conversations. People are just not comfortable talking about certain things. And I think it's so important for us and why we're doing the show together for people to have an outlet and be comfortable talking about these things. things or that are a not guide. Or a, a guide. guide. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, like from what you're just saying, that your show actually made him think about the way that he can communicate this to someone else. Yes. And yes. it probably very, you know, so much so that he was moved to email you and tell you about it. Correct. I had another woman come up to me and say, I had no idea. She said my best best friend had cancer and I really had no idea what she was going through until your play. Mm-hmm. And and I want to, at some point, I want to have um, talkbacks, not just for the survivor, but also for the partner, because I think um, that's not addressed enough too, because it's it, there's, there's difficulty for the partner and there's probably tremendous guilt for the partner to even feel bad that they're having feelings. But I understand that because I lost my mother. So I understand it on both sides. I'm that rare person. I understand what it's like to lose someone to cancer. And I also understand what it's like to be the person who had cancer. Mm-hmm. Do you feel proud of your show? Like, are you, do you feel accomplished that you're able to not only you, you know, everyone wants to, oh, I want everyone to laugh. I want to make a comment. You know, I want everyone to laugh and have a good time and have a night at the theater, but then to have people email you and come up to you and talk to you and get in touch with you and say, this really helped me. And this actually really like, I've, I'm now different and I'm able to approach a situation differently because of what you put out into the world. Does that make, how does it make you feel? There's really not a word to describe how that makes me feel. It 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 makes me feel like I have purpose. And to me, mm-hmm. 
life for me is about meaning and purpose. And it feels like I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. And it, it, it fills my heart with a sense of not happiness, but deep joy. When I was in Taipei, uh, after one of the shows, we did a talk back. And Chris, this man, I, I'm not great with ages, but I would say late 50s, took the mic and he started talking. And again, everything is translated. And he started sharing about this deep depression that he was in. And he said, seeing my play gave him hope that he can get through to the other side. Because my play is not just about people who've been through cancer. It's really about resiliency. And I know that's such a hot topic word. Yes, But yeah. it's like, but we need to, like, you know, people talk about resiliency, but my story is really about, it's like really, I think seeing people's stories is so important because that's what gives us strength. And then another woman... Well, almost you opened the door by being right. vulnerable. So then that person, and like, it, what is he like? It really, like, yes, it's about being resilient, but it's also like not about depression. It's about, it's about cancer. You know what I mean? It's like, it really isn't applicable what he's saying, but like, it is because it is. you're opening the door to like allowing that to happen. Do you, I'm did opening, you agree with that? Yes, a thousand percent. I'm opening the door to him not having shame about his pain. Mm -hmm. For him to be able to stand up and express his story. And then another young woman, I'll have to send you a picture because uh, we became friends on Instagram. Her mother died when she was young of breast cancer. And she was like, my mother will never be at my wedding. And my mother will, and she just talked about all these places that her mother would never be at. And I understand that because my mother was, couldn't even be at my mm -hmm. high school graduation. I deeply understood that. And she said, Hearing you talk about it and that you've made it through to the other side gives me a sense of peace and hope and and allows me to talk about it as well. And that's a life of that that means so much to me. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, people are like, oh, your show is funny, it's this and that. I'm like, I'm like, no, yes, people laugh, but it's about so much more than that. And and I think that um it fills my heart deeply, Chris. Not to change the subject, but to mm. go back, what was sexuality like? What was intimacy like once you got your breasts reconstructed? Was that was there a f like figuring it out? Like there was it wasn't like you yeah. were just back to business, right? Oh no 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 no! I was not just back to business. So I shouldn't tell the story, but I'm going to. It, it involves my partner, who I, I, is still a very very good friend of mine, Roy, who really walked through that journey with me that I made a lot of, you know, faux pas and mistakes on. And I had gotten my new breasts, right? Because I really wanted to still feel like my, I don't want to say fake breasts. I want to say my new breasts because I want to feel like they're part of my body because they are part of my body, right? Mm -hmm. I had to integrate them in. And I, Roy and I were having sex and my top is off. And for a very long time, I did not like to take my shirt off. I liked to just wear really sexy lingerie. Because again, for me, it made me feel sexy. If I don't feel yeah, sexy, yeah, yeah. I, I I can't really, I don't really want to have sex. I'm really, you know, it's hard to yes. have sex if I don't feel sexy. So I had taken my shirt off and I, I wanted so deeply, again, it's about me, to love my new breasts. And I stupidly said, because sometimes I just say things, Roy, which breast do you like better? I wanted to be proud of my new breasts. Yeah. My old breasts or my new breasts. And the poor guy, he doesn't know what to do. And I'm throwing this conversation at him as like we're lying in bed naked. Uh, it's ridiculous. 
And he said, your old breasts, Amy, of course. And I went into a tail spin on that. Yeah. And yes, that's true. My old breasts probably were more beautiful. But these breasts are just, they're, they're beautiful to me. And they, they show my strength and my being a warrior and who I am and what I've been through. And we, and, and we are so much more than our physical, we're so much more. So in a way, I want them to be more beautiful for me. Mm. They're different. And this goes back to what you've been saying the whole episode, which is I need to be comfortable with these things. It has nothing actually to do with the other person. And you weren't doing that. Correct. It wasn't comfortable. It was new. Yeah. It was so, it was so yes. new. And you, and you were having to figure that out. And then, you know, but instead you were looking for external validation and that's what you're saying. You know what I mean? That was the point yes. is that that's you exactly needed to right. learn that. I had to learn that. And, and listen, someone could still say to me, oh, there, one guy said to me, I remember going, well, my nipples are really small and maybe that's, you know, not going to be comfortable for you. And he goes, he goes, I can play with my own nipples. I have nipples, but I don't have breasts. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, so everybody's going to be different. Yeah. I have my own nipples. Isn't that funny? funny. I was like, okay, touche. That's actually really funny. <laughs> it's great, right? Yeah. No, but I mean, it's that that's a perfect story to exemplify you you needing to be okay with yourself versus making sure everyone else is okay with it first. Absolutely. And that is a process and that takes time. And there are times that I still, I don't want to use the word shame, but I still feel. Yeah. I, I, I can't believe I'm telling this story, but I'm going to say it. I was with a few girlfriends recently and we were all like, let's, let's like compare our booth. <laughs> it's yeah, just so yeah. stupid. It's so ridiculous. This grown woman. And we're all like, you know, and I remember thinking there was a time that I was the woman who had the most beautiful boobs. And, and I wasn't ta- like at that moment, I didn't have my tattoos on. And I remember there was a bit of sadness you know, like, ooh, for, for what I lost. But then I remind myself that my boobs will never drop and, you know, I'll be 90. Yeah, well, people pay good money to have boobs people, that are like you, right? They, like, they do. And I'll be like 90 at the retirement home and Harold will be like, whoa, look at Marx's boobs. Yeah, They're still yeah, so yeah, yeah. upright. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. So I, so I think about that. Yeah. You have longevity in your boobs. <laughs> I have longevity in my boobs, but you know, I do. And it's interesting. You do have to get them replaced, right? So because yeah. your implant, your implants, I guess maybe that's not the right word, but they can expire or they can leak and you have. have well, and get, like, I mean, nothing's forever. Like, nothing, nothing, right? Nothing's no forever. Matter, no matter so, what it is. No matter what. So to be honest, that'll be an episode in itself because that will, <clears> uh, I'm not looking forward to having to get them replaced when it yeah. when the time comes. Oh God, yeah. No. And then insurance and having to deal with all that. So what's well, a whole? It's a whole rigmarole, as they say. A whole rigmarole. Maybe I can like yeah. do that in a neck lift at the same time. No, I'm telling you, you. I'm actually I mean, not really em. kidding. <laughs> stack them. Why not? I mean, if you're going under, just do it all up. If you put me under, do it. Like do right? It. I mean, absolutely. If I'm if I'm under, I'm under. Let me wake up with a good, you know, new boobs fully, and a, yeah. Plus and a good go, neck. Go through one recovery rather than two, right? Exactly. 
I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm all for it. What is sex and intimacy like now for you? I mean, you non-existent. Saying, you basically said you don't haven't been having any sex at all. And I mean, I remember in when we were in like the COVID lockdown, you were like, "You have a partner." Like I'm all by myself. Like I haven't touched another human being, and you know, for for better or for worse, in in months, and when we were like locked in our houses, and has that kind of stayed the same? Or it's different in the sense that I can hold people's hands, friends. I can hug Mm -hmm. people. Some days I'll be like, can you hug me a little longer? As you know, with good friends, I can say, could I put my head on your shoulder? Like, you know, I, um, I did kiss someone recently and that was my first kiss in a long time. And it was really, really nice. Um, and it was sexy and it felt, uh, I I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm so ready, you know, My Instagram is going to blow up now. But, you're hot to trot. Well, you're hot to trot, basically. I'm, right, I'm is what ready. You're me. Like I, I'm. I, yes, yeah. I am very ready. But I have not had sex for this is the longest time since I lost my virginity. And that was a while ago. So now let's just have a whole podcast where we talk about sex the whole time. Let's just talk about sex and let's just like try to find. We can have a podcast, Chris, about try to find who the right person for me to lose my virginity the second time around. Cause that's what it feels like to me. I feel like it's really be like, well, it does. I feel like I'm going to be really picky about this because mm-hmm. you know, I was very picky the first time it's like, like three years for me, that's like a fucking eternity. Yeah. So, I mean, how do I do it? Do I just like do a, a one night stand thing? Do I make, I don't know. I think it'll be like everything. It, it'll happen the way it's meant to happen, but I want it to be sexy and beautiful and hot and, and kind. Yeah. And this podcast is called sex after because you were very adamant that we don't talk about what sex is like, like, you know, we talk about breast cancer and we talk about like, you know, losing your breasts and we talk about it's, it's nerve wracking and you beat cancer and you're a survivor and you're this. What we don't talk about is now that I have these new breasts and I have scars and I have this and I don't have nipples and I maybe have nipples and this person has nipples and I don't. And you know, the aftermath of these things, a person still lives a life through that. Would you, can we talk about that for a minute? You know, people go through their, they tell their story, they survived cancer. And then guess what? They still have to wake up every morning and deal with the aftermath of it. You don't get to, people don't, you know, the world doesn't just move on to the next thing. Like you then have to live your life afterwards. So I want to hear like, is it important that we're talking about the after of all these things? Oh, oh, it is so important. And I'm even going to take it off of sex for a second and other things that I want to talk about. I want to talk about to teens who lost a parent, because I want to tell you, you talk about the after. I'm sorry, but the after of losing my mother affects me every day of my life. Mm -hmm. It's just, you learn how to live with it. And I call my play my love song to my mother because what I'm learning and what what helped me in Taiwan because they have such a magnificent reverence for their ancestors is what I'm learning. The more I talk about my mother, the more she continues to live through me. So for me, that after is always recurring because that's such a loss. And the after of being a cancer survivor, I hate to say it, Chris, is always recurring. If I get Mm. headaches or I don't feel well, I don't obsess on it, but there is that little voice that I go, I hope my cancer. Oh, no, I have cancer. Yeah, I have cancer again. Yeah, yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Mm. I get a bruise. You know, I, I, I had to get an IV recently and I was bruised terribly. And I'm like, oh my God, I have cancer. So the after is a constant. The after of I'm going to start dating, God willing, again, and the after that I have to express, I'm not going to take my clothes off with someone until they know my truth and my story. I don't mm. want to do that. That's not comfortable for me. So I think it's, in, you know, some people think that, okay, three months have passed. We're done. People do it with people who are mourning. People do it with people who lost because we don't like to sit and grieve. We're not a society who likes to sit and grieve. But after is, it's sex after and then, because I don't think there's ever an end to the after. Mm -hmm. And there's not, but it, it is true. It's like we're a society that wants to move on to the, you know, and then they lived happily ever after because they vanquished the beast that was oh, cancer. You know 1, what I mean? Like, 1, and now we don't like to look at like, we don't, you know, why do you think we have like old age home? Like we, we, we don't like when things are not pretty and things are not perfect. We like to just tuck them send away, them, send them away, yeah. send them away, send them away. We don't want to see that. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And do you think this podcast is, is going to shed light on that? I, I, I hope so. That is my, and I'm curious to, for you to answer the question too, but that is my deep intention. And I feel it so strongly. And whenever I've mentioned to people that I'm doing this podcast, everyone's like, oh my God, this is so important. When is it airing? I want to hear this. And some people will listen and they'll agree with things I say. Some people will disagree with things I say. I don't think that matters. I think what matters is that we feel free to be able to share our truth without judgment from another. Feel free to be able to share our truth where someone really listens. Because I got to tell you, I think we're in a society that people just don't listen. They just want to mm. make it about them. We don't. So I hope that this becomes a place that people can, um, what would the word be? I don't want to keep saying heal, but ah, feel seen. I want people to feel seen and heard yeah. and know that they, I haven't said this yet and it's so important and know that they are not alone. Chris, when I was a teenager and lost my mom, it's amazing. All these years later, I can still weep about it. I was so alone. Yeah. I had no one. I had no one. Maybe today it's better. There are more groups. I know there are summer camps for people who lost a parent, but I was so alone. And I think it's, it's our, loneliness is what hurts us so deeply, our feeling that we don't have anyone to talk to because there's something that's very healing about talking to someone who's experienced what we have. And that's why we're bringing on so many different groups and people who've been through so many different things. Makes us feel seen and less alone. That's my hope. And it's something that really intrigued me when we were first talking about doing this was in so many interviews, you hear like, I went through this thing and then I survived and I almost died, but I didn't. And then now I just live my life and I'm just, you know, grateful every day that I'm alive. That's great. But like, how do you, what's the aftercare? Like, well, how do you walk through the world? And like, what, how are you different? Like no one, no interview ever focuses on that. There's one sentence at the end of every interview where they explain that like life is okay and they're going to be fine to make us all feel good. 
Right. And then no one ever is saying like, oh, no, I still like, you know, every day that I get in a car, I'm scared that I'm going to like flip it over again and almost die. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, I you, do. it's exactly what you just said about, you know, I'm scared every time I get a headache that like, oh, my God, wait, do I have cancer again? Of do you know course. what I mean? It's like there, no one wants to hear that also is what you're to your point. Absolutely. You want to send that away. We want to send it away. And to what you just said, you know, you hear these things wrapped up in a little bow and then the person sitting there feels worse about themselves because they're like, my life isn't wrapped up in a little bow. I still have these feelings. I still have these thoughts. So it's like, Chris, it's like you and I talking about these feelings and thoughts. Yes, the show is called Sex After, but it's not about sex all the time. Because listen, as humans, we're sexual beings. Everything I think sex is life. Sex is energy. It doesn't just mean, you know, wham, bam, you know, I'm having, you know, intercourse. Sex yeah. is, is, is an energy. And I love what you just said because it's, we don't talk about the after. And that's what we're here to do. And bum, 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 bum. <laughs> so stupid. So, so stay tuned here. We're so going to talk. <laughs> we're such idiots. Okay. I'm leaving this in also. But... <laughs> no, I love, no, it's hysterical. Do, 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 bow tie. <laughs> what are you hoping for this podcast? I am hoping many things. I am hoping, Chris, that we can reach a really wide, wide audience of people. And even like one day, if we can have a translator, because I have a strong community in in Taipei and Taiwan now, and sometimes have um, these conversations translated, because I think they're so important to have. But I'm hoping that we can reach a really wide audience. I'm hoping that we can inspire people to have conversations they're not comfortable having. I'm hoping that uh, to hear from people and to reach out for people to reach out to us. I'm hoping for it to really take off and to inspire people. It's also such a hot button word, but mm-hmm. but to help people love themselves more, to help people uh, be more comfortable with their vulnerability, to inspire people to tell their stories, to share their stories. Because I think the uh, an issue that comes up is that if we hold on to things, that's when shame comes about. And I think sharing our stories is key to the healing of our society. So, and listen, if we can help one person, that's great too. And I want us to have fun for people to go, wow, sex after airs today, drops today. I can't wait to like, listen to see what they have to say and for people to reach out to us and for us to, um, I have so many things for it to possibly turn into a docu-series or a TV show or, or to film these people's stories live. I could go on and on and on. So I have a lot of hopes for this podcast. You are usually the person that asks these questions, but oh, I'm going no. to ask you our oh, exit questions to okay. end the podcast. Uh, I don't even remember what they are. Okay, go ahead. Yikes. Okay. What does true intimacy look like to you? Love. Why do you think we are so obsessed with sex? Because I think we are a society that is deprived of touch. I think that we don't touch. Like just just like you were talking about COVID, to me, the act of touching someone's hand, touching someone's hair, we, we don't touch enough. So I think it then causes people to have sex too soon because I think we crave being touched. Mm-hmm. What is something in your after that you're still working on? Myself. I'm always working on myself. Because I really believe in order for us to be, to love other people, 
we deeply have to love ourselves and be kind to ourselves and forgive ourselves for certain things, for what wasn't, what didn't happen. So I'm constantly working on myself, but not in a, a place of like, oh, I'm working on me, but in, in healing me. What is something people would be surprised to learn about what you went through? That there are times in my life that I still go through it. What is one thing you'd say to someone who's going through what you did? Call me if you need. I'm here. I can help you. Send me an email. I, I can help you as much as I can and understand that it's one moment at a time, one step at a time, and be kind to yourself. I like it is really one moment at a time. Everything's uh, one moment at a time. Okay, we've talked for way too long. Um, oh, I love it. I could talk to you for hours. I'm excited to do this. And here we go. We'll start listening to the episodes right now. Sex After is hosted by me, Amy Marks, and is produced by Chris DeRosa. If you enjoy the show, I'd love to hear from you. DM me on Instagram at Amy Marks and Sex After Podcast, or send me a message on my website at amymarks.com. And please follow, rate, and review the show and help us spread the word. Until next time.